Welcome, folks. This is Steve Adubato. More importantly, this is the Leadership Hour. Now, they call it the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour, but it would not be the Leadership Hour if it were not for my trusted colleague, partner, the real leader, Mary Gamba. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you? Thank you for that lovely introduction. It's true. And by the way, you don't need to be complaining as we were coming here to East Media. East Main Media? I said that. Uh, thanks, Brian. <laughs> East Main Media. That's a new branding change, right? It's a couple it months is. old? Yeah, it is. Yeah. East Main Media. Let's get that out there. We're coming to you from East Main Media. We're on the air at 2 p.m. on a Sunday on AM 970. And also check out our podcast. Mary, we will not be talking about traffic mm-hmm. here in New Jersey, which you and I were talking about on the way here. We'll be talking about leadership, every aspect of leadership, right? Absolutely, including the frustrations and overcoming conflict and <laughs> challenges, such as dealing with traffic in the lovely Garden State in New York area. Managing our emotions. Managing it all. Yeah, and so Mary and I were also saying yesterday in preparation for the Leadership Hour that you do not run out of leadership topics. There are topics in the news. There are things that happen at work. There are things that happen in our personal lives, our family lives, all connected in one way or another to having to be the best leader you can be. And so in that spirit, by the way, before we bring our friend Chuck Kovac on from Cohn Resnick, one of the top accounting firms in the nation, to talk about leadership development, coaching, and what it really takes to help people be the best leaders they can be. Mary, tell folks how they can connect with us. Absolutely. First of all, on our website, stand-deliver.com, there are a lot of great articles for free. They can learn more about your book, Lessons in Leadership, which is a fantastic book. They it can, sure is. It is. It's great. <laughs> uh, we talk about being humble in there, of course. I'm and sorry, um, <laughs> I don't recognize that chapter. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have, uh, they can Follow us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., and that is A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And at Twitter, Steve Adubato. And also, too, they can subscribe to your podcast, our podcast, on Apple iTunes and Google Play. And you can also give us a good rating there if you like what you hear. Absolutely. And by the way, I want to thank our friends at AM970. We just had a terrific business breakfast. Salem Media is the parent company of AM970. We had a business breakfast at Passaic Community College that I was Proud to host with our friend Jerry Crowley, who runs the show there, and Joe Piscopo in the morning, that crew. And we brought a bunch of leaders, from, including Mitch Modell, who is the CEO of Modell Sporting Goods. And we talked about entrepreneurship and being a leader in, in small business. And by the way, I just want to thank our friends at AM970 for giving us this time on the air and being great media partners. So, Mary, why don't we introduce our good friend Chuck? I think that sounds great. Would you like to do the honors? Yeah, so here's the deal. Mary and I run a company called Stand and Deliver. For years, we've been doing executive coaching, leadership development, helping people be the best communicators, leaders they can be, dealing with change, leading change, coaching and mentoring others around them, dealing with difficult situations. And frankly, one of our most significant clients, uh, long-standing clients, I believe it's going on 12 years, is Cohen Resnick, one of the top accounting firms in the nation. And our good friend Chuck Kovac is a learning and development director, and he is on with us right now. Chuck, how you doing, our friend? Hey, I'm good, Steve. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Chuck, listen, why don't we jump right into this? You and I, together with Mary, have countless offline conversations about coaching, development people, and, and just so everyone knows, I've been working with the firm, and Mary and I working with the firm, and helping people grow to becoming the best quote-unquote partners they can be. But the term partner, couldn't it really just be partner, leader, same thing? 
Yeah, very much so, Steve. You know, one of the things I remember we have talked about as well is the fact that we really believe that you know, leadership, and we call it leadership at all levels, it's really a set of behaviors that anybody can apply anytime that help them be the best they can be and help the firm move forward, and very much so in our minds. So let's think about this, Chuck. You're handled, you lead all the uh, learning and development efforts at every level at Cohen Resnick. But what I'm curious about is the age-old question. Are leaders born or made, blah, 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 blah. We're not going to debate that question. But mm -hmm. in your experience, do you believe in your position, having seen so many people come through and others who will continue to, do you believe you see it in them and you have to bring it out of them or they're just born with it and that's pretty much the way they are? You know, it's an interesting question you raise. I was just at um, Ryder University on Saturday. Every year I have the pleasure of working with their MBA students, and somebody asked that question. And it made me think back to a conversation I had many years ago. Um, I was asked in a leadership session pretty much the same question. person had said to me, well, my question is, we have 30 people in this room, and not all of us are natural leaders. Isn't it true that only people who are naturally set to lead are going to be successful? And if so, why do we have so many in this room? And I said to them then what I believe to this day is that, you know, the demand for leadership in our world more than ever will always be more than a ready supply of whatever it is we think that makes a natural leader. And we believe, and I found over the years that we need to, and you can develop people to be an even better leader by doing exactly what you just said, finding what it is in them that can be a great leader and help them bring it out. You know, there are some people who are more naturally attuned than others. We think it's important to find those people and nurture them as well. But we really think, and I do think, you can bring it out of people under the right conditions. So let's follow up on this. Mary and I have been preparing for it to fully disclose. We've been preparing for, I don't want to call it a retreat, but a seminar that Cone Resnick. By the way, I give everyone a quick sense of what Cone Resnick is before I talk about the Baltimore seminar that we've been preparing with Chuck. Describe Cone Resnick. Yeah, Cone Resnick is currently the 11th largest accounting firm in the U.S. What's really referred to as a full-service accounting firm, assurance and audit services, tax, as well as advisory, which, by the way, is same as many people in the industry, becoming more and more important to us. But that's pretty much who we are and who we want to be to our clients and internally. By the way, we're going to give out the Cone Resnick website in just a second, but I'm going to do this, Chuck. We've been preparing for a retreat of this quote-unquote partner academy at Cone Resnick, and the subject that we agreed to that we we're going to talk about is the art of giving and receiving feedback, right? And we've been having these offline, these, when I say offline, it's, it's a, another word for we've been talking to Chuck on the phone a lot about feedback. Let me ask you, I've had this theory, and I've experienced this at Cone Resnick and in my coaching around the country, that one of the biggest challenges is the need to give direct, constructive, specific, sometimes hard-to-hear feedback. I mean, really, really good people who get incredibly defensive. Chuck, am I making too much of this? No, I, I think you're, you're right on to something that's on our minds a lot. You know, we've really come to believe that when it comes to giving feedback in a way that helps you do something like give a hard message to a otherwise performing person, it's really a matter of the leader looking inside themselves and saying, what is my intention? Am I really trying to help this person? 
And we find that over the years, managers and leaders bring a whole range of motivations to feedback. We find the one that's most important and leads to the ability to have those kind of conversations is a true commitment to helping the other person. What do you mean by that? Say I'm giving Mary feedback, which doesn't really happen anymore because I mostly get it from her at this point. <laughs> but say my intent in my mind, in my heart, is to absolutely help Mary be the best leader she can be. Mary receives it. We do the message sent. Doesn't equal message received thing, right? Mary's perception is that I'm being mean-spirited, I'm being punitive, and she doesn't believe that I'm coming from a good place, or it just hurts her feelings and she shuts down. But my motives, Chuck, are really good. What do we do with that? You know, it's another thing that we talk so much in leadership. I just had this conversation with someone the other day, one of our you know, high potential people who was saying, some things just aren't going the way I intend. You know, and I did say to your point, Steve, that you know, leadership is so much more about how people take what you intend than what you intend. And it's an important leadership skill. One of the things that we find, and actually uh, you really helped us a lot, I think, getting this whole notion of having two-way communication happen is sometimes a simple way of saying, let me tell you how I'm seeing this situation. Hmm. How are you seeing it? Why does that matter, that nuance, Chuck? One of the things that we think it matters is because it signals, and if it's happening consistently through the firm, that we're committed to two-way communication. And we've also found that it's a great way for a leader, depending on what the person decides, is to open up as to how they're really reacting to the feedback. And the leader can go with that differently than a scenario you're mentioning, which is somebody with the best of intentions delivers the feedback, gets absolutely a different reaction and either never knows it or has problems following. So we think that simple question sends a signal as well as at least gives a chance that it's going to open up the discussion to what's really on the other person's mind. That's some deep stuff. It is. And Steve and I always talk about separate realities and just trying to figure out when I perceive, and Steve, you'll often say times, well, I perceive, and you can't really challenge what someone perceives. So Chuck, it sounds to me like that's what you're talking about in terms of really listening, not only when you're giving feedback, but also listening to make sure that the person received it in the way that you intended it to be received. Yes, and also continuing to signal again, you know, if we have this happening multiple times across the firm, we think it sends a positive message that that matters to us, what you think. You know, but to your point, Mary, at the end of the day, another thing leaders, and we talk about this a lot, have to get comfortable with is not knowing. And one of those things that you seldom know is exactly what somebody else is thinking. Hmm. And I think in leadership, because we're, so many leaders were trained to be problem solvers and analyzers, the idea is to get to the answer. That's hard to do when it comes to human interactions, we think. And so, Mary, we feel like a question like that really is also acknowledgement is that no matter how well I know you, I can't possibly know what you're thinking unless we have a way for you to tell me. Well, Chuck has just raised the scary thing is you have me thinking, Chuck, which is dangerous. <laughs> That's always really dangerous. So, so think about this for a second. We often acknowledge our clients and thank them for allowing us to do what we do. Now, we have several health, major healthcare systems. We have health insurance companies, fully disclosed Horizon, right? We got banks, right? But we only have one really big, significant accounting firm, right? So I ask myself, Chuck, do you think, given the fact that I coach, Mary and I, we do leadership development, a lot of different kinds of organizations, 
that there's something unique about the way accountants are trained around, dare I say, the numbers, analysis of the numbers, the black and white, show me the bottom line, and then having to shift to the nuance and the gray area of leadership because they're not including, by the way, we deal with lawyers as well, Gibbons or a major law firm. I often think that someone's training, I'll get to the point, I promise, that someone's training somehow makes the leadership coaching have to be a little bit different based on someone's educational and professional training. Am I making too much of this, Chuck? Oh, no, I think that, uh, you know, this is something that is common. You mentioned law firms as well, that we found in professional services. Traditionally, the value proposition of professional services has been is you're hiring an expert who is going to provide answers and solutions. That's right. And that's the value. I got the answers, so pay me, I have your answers. Yeah, that's why you're engaging us. And in some cases, that's true. Yeah, when it comes to something like leadership or being a trusted advisor to a client, you know, so much of it is same as feedback, acknowledging that there's something that we don't know and having the skill to be able to get to that answer rather than come with that answer. And I think that makes it counterintuitive for a lot of people in professional services. Whoa, counterintuitive meaning, sorry for interrupting, counterintuitive meaning? Differently than I would normally approach the situation. Hmm. You know, we use the phrase a lot, what's in your DNA? Yep. We think having answers, as you mentioned a moment ago, and being an expert is in the DNA of people in this business. When it comes to leadership, not always the case. So it's it's almost like I got a leadership problem, crisis, challenge, whatever it is. Let's look at the options. Let's come up with the, quote, correct answer. (laughs) Chuck, it doesn't work that way. No. And, you know, one of the other things we're really driving for, and, you know, we know with your relationship with us, you're aware of all, is that more important than ever to truly collaborate to get to the right answers. You know, with today's rate of change, the information being what it is, it's less and less likely that any one person knows the answer to the kind of complex problems that are coming up now. And we really encourage our leaders to collaborate inside the firm, outside the firm, with each other in a way that truly helps us get the best ideas on the table. And we think that applies to leadership and coaching, you know, a feeling like I'm sitting down to be work something through together with you. It's so interesting as, as we uh, wrap up with Chuck. What's so fascinating to me is accountants are trained, whether on the auditing or the tax side, whatever it is, right, to deal with black and white mostly. And we're saying to them, we need you to coach the people underneath you and help them be the best leaders they can be. We need you to go out into the marketplace and develop relationships so you can bring in potential business that adds to our bottom line. And I think um, – where did that skill set come from? <laughs> it's like, you know, and so Chuck and his team have actually taken these very solid professional accountants and opened up all these new areas for them. And my God, it must, sometimes I don't think I appreciate how challenging that must be. But go ahead, Chuck, final words, go ahead. You know, I think one of the good news is that maybe more than ever, a growing number of people in this industry really starting to see that reality and really starting to at least ask the question, maybe there's a different way we need to do this. And we can't think of a healthier way to have leaders behave in a firm than that. So I think there's some real good news on something that I think what you said is very true and has been. It's starting to change in a really good way. 
Well said, Chuck. By the way, Mary, the Cone Resnick website? Oh, absolutely. It's coneresnick.com, and that's C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K.com. Right, Chuck? That's exactly right. And by the way, go on that website. There's some great videos. There's great material about the firm. And, and Chuck, most importantly, on behalf of Mary and I and the team at Stand and Deliver, thank you for uh, talk about relationships, <laughs> a great relationship, a great productive partnership. And I am confident that with all the challenges we just talked about, I'm confident we've together helped an awful lot of folks at your firm with your team at the learning and development team, help them be the best leaders they can be. So thank you, Chuck. No, you're welcome. Always a pleasure. You got it. Folks, uh, that was our friend Chuck Kovac, who is the learning and development director, Cone Resnick, which is the 11th largest accounting firm in the nation. They keep getting bigger and stronger and one of our, frankly, favorite and most significant clients. Quick follow-up on Chuck. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts? Go ahead. It's really fascinating because he raised an amazing point when it comes to accountants, lawyers, all the folks that are very, very, very smart. They technically. Don't, technically. And the challenges that we've seen through our work together and stand and deliver and coaching and leadership training is oftentimes what gets missed is that human connection, the ability to empathize, the ability to make a connection with another human being on a more personal level. Oftentimes, even doctors fall into that trap as well. They know what they know. They go in, they talk to a patient, but did they actually take the time to listen to the I patient? I hired you to do brain surgery on me, and That's now you right. want me to be the head of the medical department? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the chairman or chairperson of the medical department and run meetings, coach people to be better, deal with conflict. Hold on one second. I got a scalpel in my hand. I understand how to do brain surgery. Now I'm the chairman of the department. How would you know how to do that unless you were taught the skills? You wouldn't know how to do brain surgery. And when surgery. were you taught those skills? Never. Never. Show me a college that teaches the true skills that it takes to lead meetings, to coordinate, to follow up and follow How about to through. bring people together? And I don't think it's in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I think it's in a lot of outside activities. Like your sons are involved in sports, right. mine are involved in sports, or your son Joey's a great musician. Mm -hmm. He's in a band. Right. Leadership is being in a band. Exactly. It's all those other things that we often get stuck in that trap of going to school every day, going to work every day. Dotting. I did my work today. Why are you giving me a hard time? It's a lot more than that. And that separates the people who are truly leaders from those that are just doing their activities and checking off a box every day. Doers first. And Brian, real quick, uh, Brian Brodeur from East Main Media, the leader here. Brian, real quick, mm -hmm. on the media end, someone's technically a very good camera person, a very good director, a very good producer. He or she understands media, understands the technical sides of media. And then you go, hey, you're going to head up the such and such department. Leadership skills? Well, certainly like what Cone Resnick and what you talked to Chuck about, and I know you work with them on this, you have to develop internal skills, right, with the team. So people can't just slot into those square holes. At least here at our firm, we don't treat it that way. And we try to nurture people's skill sets in what they're strong with and what they might need support with. And that dovetails right into that. And to that end, and we were just on a shoot right outside of Philadelphia with Brian's team in Camden, the wonderful folks down at Rowan University. And we we're doing a shoot about the medical education and the research going on in Camden. And I thought to myself, Brian had his team there, his production team. We have our producers there. Everyone's technically production-wise sound. But stuff happens that often falls outside of production, technical, get the camera right, do this. Oh, my God, the camera's not working. Okay, It's people stuff. It's leadership stuff. 
It's communication stuff. Final question on this one, Brian. Is that all on the job you learn it? Well, a lot of it's trial by fire. You know, me trial by screwing up as we screw. <laughs> well, there's and always something. And then, and then, where's the feedback part? Well, if it's not one thing, it's four others, as we like to say, right? right? So, well, again, to your conversation with Chuck about communication and feedback isn't a one-way street, right? And so you can dictate as a leader, but that's not going to work. You have to have the dialogue. You have to hear what the team members how they're perceiving. And you could see from that day, we were embracing a, a leadership position for Kayla, our senior producer. That's right. And she was helping and uh, really stepping up. And, and, and by the way, excuse me, our, Nicole yeah. on our team, stepping up big time from where she was to where she's going to be. She's in her mid-20s, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what she signed up for. I don't know if that's what Kayla signed up for. Like, I want to be in media. No, you're actually in leadership. But let me ask you, Steve, you can see it, right? You can see it in Nicole. You can see that she's it's not just me. She's drilled in. We saw something in mm -hmm. Nicole. That's a great example. It is. Oh, look at those millennials. We've had this conversation a million oh, times. Oh yeah. Oh, you know they don't really have those skills, and and plus you can't count on them. And blah blah blah. We saw something, Nicole. You see something, Kayla. What are we looking for? Because they're not natural leaders at 24 years old. But they are. And even we have right now another young, talented producer, Michaela. And you find... Right out of school. Right out right, of school. I think school. out of Ryder? Yes. We actually have two. Gina is also out Gina's of Ryder. Gina's terrific. She's terrific as well. And I think as leaders, and I think it's very easy to put the millennials into a bucket and say across the board, all not millennials. Fair. It's not fair. Especially if we are raising the bar and setting expectations that these younger professionals are going to, we have to put our confidence and believe in them. Of course, there's going to be the outliers who truly do fit into that millennial description, but it's not fair moving forward with all the other challenges in the world that we continue to put them in that bucket. And our producers, as you had just said, are a perfect example of you can be young, you can be passionate, you can be a leader, regardless of your age, whether you're 15, 25, 55, 75, it doesn't matter. So interesting, age and leadership, not something we planned on talking about, but I'm convinced that leadership traits can be seen at any age, anyone, anywhere. I, I'll, I'll give you the range, right? It, this is what's in my head. Little kids, our daughter Olivia is eight, right? The reason I know she's a leader and persuasive is because I never thought we would get a first puppy two years ago. You and I know this. You happen to like your dog. Mm -hmm. I was not a dog person. Olivia worked on it and worked on it and was very persuasive. And finally, we got Vinny, our dog. Trust me, there's a point to this. And then she said, Daddy, I've been thinking. Vinny seems lonely. And Vinny, if he had another dog, a puppy, I don't think he would bother Mommy so much. And so you could spend more time with Mommy. And he wouldn't bother us so much. He would have a friend. So I think we should think of this is Olivia mm -hmm. saying to me, starting last year, we should consider. I said, no, that's ridiculous. We're not going to clean up stuff all over the place again. She worked on me for a year. And it isn't just that she was persistent. It's that she started developing really strong arguments for this <laughs> other puppy. And finally, I broke down. I said, let's bring Vinny to the place. And they seemed to get along. And now there's Vinny and Petey. And she's also learning that she has responsibilities to be a leader and take the dogs out. Mm-hmm to make sure that they are trained, and she's involved. Now you say, what does that have to do with leadership? It's about accountability, responsibility. And I'm thinking, eight, really? Are those leadership traits? Is that leadership? 
It is. It's leadership, but I also credit you as the parent as well. Yes, I think that, and we've talked about this right here on the show before, that certain kids have more leadership natural ability than others. So it's our job to pull it out of the ones that may not be as strong natural born leaders and maybe tone down the others and find a happy ground. You mean the ones who just won't shut up? Exactly. Or think they're always right and think that no matter what, no matter how old they are, their point is 100% accurate. Not a great leadership trait. It's not. It's not. And in Olivia's case, all right, well, sure, she was very persuasive, which is fantastic. I'm I'm realizing that example is so self-serving. At the same time, I also know something about her. When she knows one of the girls is being mean to another girl, Mm -hmm. she also has it in her and has, in fact, told that girl to stop being mean, that it's bullying and it's not fair. And that is... That's really, beyond the dog thing that she mm -hmm. broke me down for, that's impressive to me. Exactly. It's not about our daughter, because I know... Your boys do that and all kinds of kids do that. So my point is about age and leadership. Yeah. I think that no matter the age, whether they're five years old, 55, again and up, it is incumbent upon all of us to find, even if it's not as outward of a leadership trait, if it's stepping in, if it's speaking out for someone. Or dealing with adversity. Dealing with adversity. And I hate to say it, but it's almost doing the right thing. It's going back to basic. Being a leader is doing the right thing. Including sure. taking responsibility when you've done something wrong exactly. instead of blaming it on someone else. Yes. Which, geez, not that we could see that in government or corporate life, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think a lot it of It wasn't corporate... me. It was the guy three levels down. Mm-hmm. Who can I pin this on? Yeah. And you see it more and more. And it's unfortunate because it's so much better, cleaner, easier to own the mistake say what you took away from it, and learn from it, and apply it to other situations. And you're convinced that we can teach. This is interesting, because in corporate America, in Washington right now, it is filled with mm-hmm. finger-pointing, blaming, scapegoating. It was anybody but me. And we're sitting there saying, as parents and as people who have influence yeah. over the young people in our houses just a little bit, that what a responsibility we have to teach them being accountable and responsible. Exactly. And for some of the leaders, it is ego and arrogance that really prohibits them from owning their mistakes. And I believe in my core that when you get ego, again, talking about some of our leaders in wherever. And that, by the way, that's not Republican or Democrats. It's not. Um, I heard Hillary Clinton the other day. <laughs> I heard Hillary Clinton. I don't know if she's on the Today Show or wherever. And they said, well, You know, your husband, when he was president, he had an affair with a 22-year-old intern. And look at the power relationship that he had. He was a 47-year-old man. She was a 22-year-old intern. And wouldn't you consider that an example of being abusive with your power? And she said, no, she was an adult. And I sat there and I said, did I just hear what, I don't care what your politics may be, folks. I couldn't care less, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. You like Trump. You don't like Trump. You like Clinton, who you vote. I couldn't care less. I sat there and I went, you are not going to own, and he, Bill Clinton, is not going to own that the president of the United States, the leader of the free world at 47 years of age, and a 22-year-old intern looking up at him in a certain way where you can make or break this kid. And you have a sexual relationship with her, not just lie about it in the beginning, but then you go, no biggie. She was 22 of legal age. That's not leadership. That's horrible leadership to me. Especially after all this time, you need to just own it and well, say, maybe, yeah, that maybe was Maybe they poor need judgment. a little time to think it through. Yeah. No, we're right. No. Anyway, so the point there is that I'm convinced 
without belaboring the age thing, is that now Bill Clinton, I don't know, is in his 70s, I guess, at this point. He hasn't learned it. And so an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, I'm convinced if you harp on, not just say, but do, the art of being accountable and responsible and don't blame, I've got to believe it rubs off. And that's one of the top three leadership traits. I hope so. And I think that there are some leaders, though, who are too far gone because of age that will not learn. That their ego, again, that their ego is so large that they are right no matter what. Or defensiveness, a combination of the two. Or I am bigger than, better than everyone else. And I do believe in those extreme cases, there is no teaching them. Now, sure, they can be a leader in other ways. They can run a company. So, yeah, but if you're not taking responsibility for things going wrong, what's the difference if you're a great speaker, mm-hmm. you run a terrific meeting, you close the deal that brought in a lot of money, but when something goes wrong, you immediately go, who can I pin this on? I mean, isn't that the deal breaker? Well, obviously not. I mean, look at the leaders of our country. So I don't think it is a deal breaker. However, it should be. That's All right. Why do we open up these Pandora boxes? <laughs> so real quick on feedback to close the loop. Yes. I've got some thoughts. And by the way, in my book, I believe it's a chapter on giving and receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Can You Handle the Truth? Yeah. And we have lots of great articles on our website as well, stand-deliver.com, that are free of charge. People can go. They could just go into the search box and search for feedback, and they can really find some great material. Right. So here's the deal. I took this from the book. Some tips on giving feedback. When giving feedback, be as specific as possible. And what I mean by that is when people say things like, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. (laughs) Is that good feedback? That would not be great feedback. Because what does it mean to be doing a good job? By the way, what am I doing exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Be specific. So keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, What is she saying I'm doing? You need to pick up your game. Yeah. That's not going to (laughs) work. So it's not specific enough. Say the thing exactly as it is. Avoid judgmental comments. What I mean by that is you and I have this discussion a lot. I'll say, Mary, the reason something went wrong on our team is they didn't care enough. Oh, yeah. That flips you out. That gets me. If we had someone on our team, which we don't, we have had them in the past, people who did not care. Enough. Enough. Maybe they cared a little, but not enough. No. Not enough to follow up and follow through. Not enough to be vigilant. Exactly. So now when you say that, it is frustrating to me because people do care. They just made a mistake, had a lapse in judgment, but they definitely do care. Yeah, I screw up on that a little bit. How about I say give feedback face to face. Now, I send a lot of emails, text messages, and it's hard because we're running all over the place. But why face to face? Face to face is so much better. It's a lot more challenging for the leader to do so. And because of that, and we talk about the 24-hour rule a lot, because then by waiting to do it face-to-face, your feedback may change a little bit. You may soften your tone a little bit. So face-to-face is better. And also, too, a lot could be misconstrued from an email, misinterpreted. Absolutely. By the way, a minute left. How about this one? Try to catch people as a leader doing things right as opposed to simply being obsessed with (laughs) catching them doing something wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that feedback? It's feedback because, in addition, it's even like children again. Constructive feedback criticism is just as good in terms of giving someone positive feedback is just important to build them up. It's funny. We keep talking about feedback as if it's all negative. Hey, how about someone did a really good job and you go out of your way to give them feedback? We just sent Nicole. We just ran the shoot down outside of Philly and Camden. And I remember saying to her on the phone the other day, yeah, everyone sent emails. Oh, Nicole, it was great. The team was great. And I called Nicole. I remember saying, Nicole, let me tell you what really went well. And by the way, let me talk to you about some other things that I felt could have been stronger. 
And her ability to receive that feedback is huge. Exactly. And she is really great at doing that. Mm -hmm. All right. By the way, we'll keep talking about other uh, tips on feedback, giving it as quickly as you can in the moment. Don't wait too long. Mary also says, don't be so quick because you sometimes might be too emotional in the process. All good stuff on giving and receiving feedback. And Mary, this has been another Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Yeah. And by the way, I want to plug our book again, Lessons in Leadership, which people can get on the website. Yeah, stand-deliver.com. There's a link right there to purchase the book. It's a great read and a lot of good tips and tools. And I want to thank our friend Chuck Kovac. I want to thank the folks at AM970, all of our clients and friends who allow us to do what we do every day, the folks at East Main Media. And thank you, Brian. Thank you to your team. It takes a village, a village to get it done. See, now I'm quoting Hillary Clinton after I just bashed her. Great. <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week on the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato here. See you then. Bye-bye. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Chris Giamo, and at TD Bank, we believe all citizens need to be informed about the important financial issues that affect their daily lives. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. The Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ. New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. TD Bank. PSCNG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. St. Joseph's Health, a passion for healing. It's what's inside us. And by Adler Aphasia Center helping stroke and brain injury survivors recover their speech. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We are, in fact, coming to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio in Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It is my honor, pleasure to introduce for the first time on State of Affairs, Sue Fulton, who is chair and chief administrator, New Jersey, Motor Vehicle Commission. Good to see you, Chief. Thanks so much, Steve. Happy to be here. Uh, you're at a cocktail party. Someone says, what exactly do you do? How do you answer that? <laughs> I say I run all the DMVs <laughs> in New Jersey because everybody knows what the DMV is. Right. Even though that's, you know, we've been Motor Vehicle Commission for, you know, since 2005 a or something. A bit of a branding issue? Well, you know, I've talked, to, I've talked to motor vehicle administrators across the country. <laughs> they all have the same issue. They call it whatever, but people know the DMV. The responsibilities so include? Break that down for us. Um, primarily, it's licensing and registration. Now, licensing includes not just your individual license that everybody's familiar with, but the commercial driver's license as well. And, uh, um, and there are any number of endorsements, depending on the kind of, uh, kind of vehicle that you're licensed to drive. Um, and then registration's the same thing, title, lien, registrations, all of the things in that category. You know, technology, um, anyone who's been out there, and we all have to do what we are supposed to do as it relates to our cars and their safety and uh, renewing our license, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm curious, how has technology, say in the last five years, just five, three to five years, changed the way you and your colleagues work? 
Well, that's a dicey question because Why? because technology changes, but keep in mind motor vehicles, and this isn't just New Jersey, this is across the United States, motor vehicles has some 60, 70 years of data. And, and most states have this data stored in mainframes that date back, um, usually to like the 70s or the, you know, maybe early 80s. So um, the upside, the, the downside of that is obvious, you're talking about you're talking about hardware that's that's dated, mm -hmm. but by the same token, you're also talking about um, hardware that's very secure, that's very very tough to invade or to hack. So we are not at the same place with information technology that that you know corporations might be, um, because you know this is a massive amount of data mm. um, that that we're keeping safe. Uh, by the same token, there are so many different. Um, uh, developments that have influenced this. Right now, there are states that are looking at mobile driver licenses, meaning you having, your, having your driver license on your phone. So the data is secured, but um, so let's say um, you get pulled over, your, your phone gets pinged with a request from law enforcement, um, you know, what's your, to release your driver license, you give that permission, and before the, the officer gets to your car, he can take a look at that, at that license and review everything, so he knows that everything's on the up and up, this is your vehicle, because he's looking at your license plate, um, and then uh, 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 he's already got that information. The other thing with a mobile driver license, and I'm, now I'm selling technology that we're no, not ready to move I'm, to. But, 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 but it is, do certain states actually do this? There are pilot programs with okay. a mobile driver license. So as opposed to across the Maryland. state, Maryland's right. piloting it. Right, right. Everybody's do do you folks talk to each other about better, better ways to do what you do? Absolutely. Um, you know, the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators um, is a national organization. Uh, the people who are running it are people who've had years of experience in this area, in this arena. Um, and yeah, the administrators as well as their senior staff, we talk to each other about best practices. The thing about moving technology mm. is that, you know, we can't we can't put the car in the shop to change all the technology, mm. right? Because um, a we're servicing, you know, we're serving million, a million, millions of transactions every year. Millions. Transactions Absolutely. every year. So, you know, we close, look at the impact when we have a, a, a computer outage, as we've had, um, and people can't get served. There are, there are a number of New Jerseyans who are inconvenienced by that. So we have to keep our services going while we do upgrades. We're fixing the car while it's moving, <laughs> right? I love it. So as a consequence, a lot of us, as I said, in all the states, you know, we're, we're a little bit behind, but we're looking at ways, particularly New Jersey, to do that in a reasonable and practical way. By the way, let's put up uh, the website for the Motor Vehicle Commission. We are, in fact, speaking to Sue Fulton, who is the chair of, excuse me, the chief, I apologize. The chief, chair and chief administrator. So chief, I got yes. it. The, the chief of uh, the Motor Vehicle Commission in the state. I, I was telling you before we got in the air that we've been involved in public awareness and education around organ and tissue donation with some folks at the Sharing Network that you know very well. The one thing that keeps, and by the way, there are thousands, literally thousands of uh, New Jerseyans and many, many more Americans um, waiting for um, an organ to survive, to live. What exactly is the process in terms of your renewing of the license and what can you do? I've loaded a question, I know we're talking about technology. Can they actually go online and register as an organ donor? 
You absolutely can, Steve. And to, let me talk about sure. when you go in for your initial license or you go into an agency for your renewal, there's a signature pad there and it will prompt you, do you want to be an organ donor? Straight up, yes or no? That's right. That's right. It's that easy. And if you say yes, that's recorded on your card and you're registered in the, in the National Registry as well. Now, say you haven't opted to be an organ donor in the past. Do you want to change that? Eh, your license isn't expiring. You're not really due for renewal. You can still go online. Even if you have not registered as an organ donor in the past, you could do it even if you're not up for renewal. That's exactly right. You can go okay. online. And in fact, the law was passed that, that Okay, other changes to your driver license, if you're not do, you can't, will cost you money. Changing your status as an organ donor costs you nothing, nothing. You go in, you change that, you know, I now want to be reflected as an organ donor, and that, that will be changed. We will send your information to the National Registry of Organ Donors um, so that they're aware of that, uh, and that costs you nothing. By the way, we are, in fact, speaking to Sue Fulton, the uh, chief of New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission. I was saying I happen to go where I live, East Orange is closest to me. And I like the, the people are great there and everything's fine. But for people who say, you know what, those lines, and there were times, and there have been times, sure. that they're really long. Mm -hmm. What specifically is being done to ameliorate that? That, that's a great question, Stephen. There's not a magic wand we can wave that's going to that's going to alleviate the the weights at, at motor vehicles. It's a lot of little improvements that we need to make. Now, uh, there are some IT improvements. You know, you mentioned IT earlier. Uh, there was in in the past administration, uh, they touted a you know a transformation project that was going to modernize all our systems. What ended up happening was all those resources were diverted to Real ID. And if I might talk about Real ID sure. for a minute, Real ID is going to be the new federal standard for identification. So as of October of 2020, if you want to fly domestically, mm. or if you want to enter a federal facility, a military facility, or for certain federal benefits, for federal purposes, you need to meet the Real ID standard. That requires changes on our part at, at Motor Vehicle Commission. So it is a priority that we have to convert over to, to Real ID, um, huge IT lift. That said, all of the modernization efforts that had been talked about and planned, um, all, those, all that funding and resources went into Real ID. So we haven't done the kinds of modernization we need to do. Modernization that would, for instance, allow you to schedule appointments. Um, as opposed to just going cold. As opposed to just going in and then standing on that line and waiting. Um, there, are, there are some IT projects that would allow you to do more online. Now, I will say, right now, um, the use of our online services, for instance, you can got a few seconds left. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Renew your registration. Use of online services is what is very low. You're saying you can renew your, your registration, registration online. Don't even go to Hold the. Hold on. Don't I, I'm due for my license. I can't do it online. I have to go to. I just want to clarify. I have to go to one of the offices. Okay. A registration is different. Two things. One, registration is different. I don't want to make this about me. I just know there's a lot of other people dealing with this. Go ahead. Let's make it about you, Steve. No, don't. Yeah, no. don't. Okay, okay, okay. No, registration renewal, you can do online. You go okay. online with that. Put the website up. With Good that job. envelope. With that envelope you get. It's got a PIN number. You go online. You renew your registration online. Now, driver renewals, every four years you have to renew that driver yep. license. they got to right? see you. Only every eight years. Really? Only every eight years. So what will happen is you're ready for a driver license renewal, you'll get another envelope, and right. on there it'll say skip the trip, mail this All in, right. and you mail it in. You don't have to go and in. And you find that on the website? It's up there right Absolutely. now. Can we find that out? Skip the trip for your driver license All renewal right. and registration renewals online. You are the chief. 
uh, Chief Sue Fulton, who is uh, the chair and chief administrator of New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission. I promise you I will get to where I need to go and take care of it. And by the way, everybody else do the right thing. You bet. Thank you very much, Chief. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Stay right there. All right. See how we matched? We coordinated. We right did. We worked right this out. No, we didn't. Right back right after this. <laughs> to see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. He's back again, Dr. Joe Marbach, uh, president, Georgia and Court University. Good to see you, doctor. Great to be here, Steve. Thanks. You and I have a lot of offline conversations about the mood, political discourse, polarization in our nation. Do I make too much of it? I don't think so, Steve. I, I've never seen politics this strained in, in the 30 years that I've been studying. And you're a political it. scientist. Political scientist by training, yes. So, And then uh, just applying it and seeing how it affects our students. Um, you know, uh, in, at college campuses, it used to be depression was the number one issue for mental health. Now it's anxiety. And about? Everything. You know, they're worried about the jobs they're going to get, but they're worried about the political climate. Uh, the worried election. about conversations going on in North Korea? Yeah, you know, and who's pointing missiles means. at them and That's those real. sorts of things. That's real for people. It is, and it's, but I think a generation grew up with it as almost the norm, and then we, we, we dialed back that nuclear threat, you know, whatever the Cold mm. War was. And now all of a sudden, it's reemerged. And you know, you've got shooting in high schools and metal detectors and things that a whole generation of folks never grew up with that this generation of students are facing on a daily basis. At Georgian Court, to what degree are you able to facilitate an environment or create an environment where there's open dialogue with different points of view politically where people can feel, dare I use the word safe, Joe? Well, we, we try to be safe, at least within the conversation, and we certainly are physically safe. Georgian Court yep. is one of the safest campuses Tell in New Jersey. everyone where you are, by the way. We're down in Lakewood, New Jersey, so uh, in Ocean County, just on the edge of, uh, of uh, uh, Monmouth County. Right. Um, but, so we have a safe physical place, but it's a place where you can exchange ideas in a safe way and not be insulted. You know, one of your leadership pieces was about leaders recognizing differences in others and not mocking other folks. Are you the one who read it? I might be. <laughs> yeah, I, I write a column on, on, on leadership, and, and I am fascinated by the name-calling, the mocking, but I am fascinated also by the role of higher education in all this. You and I, Joe's been a part of so many of our conversations about affordability in higher education, uh, the partnering, if you will, of higher ed institutions, four-year institutions with two-year institutions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. But what do you see as the role of higher education in the current environment? Well, it's teaching people how to listen and Even express differences. And disagree. To, to disagree but not be disagreeable. I think that's, that's the key. We can disagree but not be disagreeable. So let me understand your point of view and give me the same courtesy. Understand my point of view and why we're different, where we can come together. And in some areas, we may just agree to disagree. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about Georgian Court. I was mentioning the uh, whole two and four year initiative. Any of that going on with you guys? Oh, we're, we're at the forefront of it. I've got six arrangements with community colleges to transfer. Two-year schools. Two-year schools, our, our local two-year schools. Well, 60% of my undergraduate students are transfer students. So Georgian Court is very different than the traditional four-year school. We're not always looking at 18-year-olds. We're bringing in 20-year-olds. 
And so we've had a, a long-standing partnership with Brookdale Community College. That's um, down the shore, right? Down the shore, right? It's in uh, Monmouth County. We're teaching courses at their Hazlitt campus. Uh, we're working with their students to come in from their main campus and transfer right into uh, our Lakewood campus. So we're there. Uh, we've signed recent agreements with Cumberland County, where we offer a bachelor's in social work degree on their site for the mm -hmm. needs of that community. And we're spreading out throughout New Jersey. By the way, Jack, you remind me of that. Uh, Dr. Marbach's going to be joining us with uh, Dr. Stout. Dr. Is Stout, it? Dave Stout, yeah. From Brookdale. He just was named president of Brookdale. So we're talking about the two and four year school situation. L let me try this the higher education issue. We actually have a roundtable coming up with some hospital presidents about this, about affordability. Is the affordability crisis, if you will, the ability to afford college, is it getting any better, Joe? It, in some ways, some ways it is, uh, especially for students at the lower socioeconomic end. Uh, New Jersey is very generous with our tuition assistant grants, the TAG grants. Right. And when you have a student that can apply a TAG grant and a Pell grant, and if they have very, very low income levels, they can get to about half the tuition of a Georgian court. And then we'll meet them with some merit aid. They'll be able to take in some loans, reasonable loans, about $4,000 a year, so that they can graduate with manageable debt and we can put them into a career where they're going to be able to pay that debt. And we like to brag about the values we instill in our students, and we have a very low default rates on student loans mm. as they come through the system. So we're trying to make it more affordable, and these two-year partnerships allow us to do that. Just one quick commercial sure. message. If a student goes to... It's PBS. Watch that. Watch it. Right? <laughs> if a student goes to Brookdale Community College for their first two years, they pay about $10,000. If that student then transfers to the Hazlitt location at of Georgian court, they'd pay about $15,000 a year each year after that. So for about $40,000 a year, a student can get a four-year degree between Brookdale and Georgian court. By the way, uh, we are speaking to Joe Marbach, Dr. Joe Marbach. When he was at a previous institution of higher learning, he was always with us talking about political issues that happened to be Seton Hall yes. University. But he is now the president. For how long have you been the president of Georgian it's court? just finished my third year. Congratulations. Um, and by the way, we work closely with Georgian Court as one of the institutions of higher learning that helps us do what we do here. Real quick on this, there is a collaboration. I've been expanding your operation into Hunterton County. What does that mean? Well, uh, we're working with the developers who are... I thought you down the Jersey Shore. We were, but uh, part of my job is to make Georgian Court a regional university, and so we're expanding our footprint. And so now we're offering classes in seven different counties. We've been offering our graduate education programs in school districts in Essex, in Mercer County, uh, in Union County. We're in Ocean and Monmouth counties, and we're in Middlesex Is geography counties. a problem there? It's not a problem, but what we're, we've done is our philosophy is take our product to where our students are. Take the education. Oh, bring it there. Bring it there, yes. Oh, so they don't have, have to go to... No, so we're offering hybrid classes. We're offering classes right in the districts. And we see Hunterdon County as an area of opportunity. Hunterdon County is the only county in New Jersey without a two- or four-year institution within the That's county the boundaries. One. That's the one. They send their students to Raritan Valley, and we just signed a partnership with Raritan Valley Community College so that we can meet some of the needs and develop in downtown D Flemington. Dr. Joe Marbach, before I let you go, online programs growing? They are growing, yes, and they've grown up organically. I'm so proud of our faculty that have taken the bull by the horn to meet the students where, they're, where they are. We'll be, uh, Joe Marrock will be joining us uh, on our sister program one-on-one, -on -one, except it'll be one-on-two. You will be with again... President Stout. Dave Stout, yes. Uh, Joe Marbach, President. Dr. Joe Marbach, President of Georgian Court University. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Steve. Good we to see you. We talk politics on and off the air right back right after this.
To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome uh, Cecilia Zalkan, who is uh, President and CEO, Advocates for Children of New Jersey. Cecilia, you've been with us many times. You love every time you are with us. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, but this is a continua continuation of a conversation we've been having in connection to an initiative, a public awareness initiative called Right from the Start NJ. You'll see the website that's uh, coming up right as we speak. Go on the website, find out more information. All about helping infants, toddlers, zero to three, if you will, why is it such a pressing issue? Well, we know so much more now about how babies grow and develop and how important those early years are. That's the time of the greatest brain development. A lot of things that happen in the future, for good and bad, are set in those early years. Yeah. You just, uh, not too long ago, we're doing this right before the state budget is supposed to be struck, we hope. Uh, last day of June, but last month, was last month or earlier in June? Strolling, uh, uh, Rolling Thunder. Strolling Thunder was so, May strolling 21st. Thunder. Rolling th was, isn't it with the motorcycles, the other one? Yes. No, but, they're Strolling Thunder, but, too. But this is Strolling, okay, Strolling Thunder. This is the Think Babies national campaign, all part of it, uh, courtesy of our great friends here at NJTV News. This is a clip from a story that, I think Andrew Smirts did the story, a great story from NJTV News. This sets up this walk, this demonstration, this message that's being delivered down in the State House, and we'll come back and talk to Seal. Here we go. Based on the theory that bringing cute kids to a political rally is a good way to get attention, a coalition of state child advocacy groups strolled to the Capitol to call on lawmakers to improve child services. I think New Jersey is ahead of the country in some areas. We have the best preschool program in the country, but it starts at age three. We have a family leave program, but not a lot of families can access it. So what we feel is we're on a great pathway. We can make it much better. The event Strolling Thunder, arranged by the group Zero to Three, is part of a nationwide campaign to highlight issues like child care, paid family leave, and services for expectant mothers. About 150 of New Jersey's youngest came out with their moms and a few dads during a rather festive rally. Danelle Robinson will soon be a mother of three. I'm really advocating for child care because I'm learning now how much child care really is. And with three children in child care, that's basically, you know, everything that I kind of make. The group, Advocates for Children of New Jersey, says the state is woefully underprepared to take care of the 200,000 New Jersey infants. The group says there are only licensed child care centers to handle about 56,000 of the newborns, leaving parents to turn to other expensive daycare options. A survey by Care.com, a company that helps families find child and senior care, says parents spend an average of 20% of their income on child care. In New Jersey, we need increased funding for early prenatal care. We need support for new parents through home visiting programs. And we need affordable, quality childcare. You've here. You're just, I want to thank our colleagues at NGTV News for that terrific clip. Um, Cecilia Zalkin, let me ask you. You just heard the Assemblywoman Lopez talking about we need dollars, we need resources to do what? 
Well, I think we need to invest in babies to make sure that they have the best opportunity to grow and develop. Our advocacy is we need to start with childcare. So we were thrilled that Assemblywoman Lopez talked about that. Um, almost 65% of babies have parents in the workforce. There's not enough spaces in licensed centers to take care of them. This is a critical time for brain development. This is a time where children need a nurturing, supportive environment that helps them grow. Um, New Jersey is woefully inadequate mm -hmm. on every level in terms of child care for babies. You know, we were up in Vermont, uh, Cecilia and I were up in Vermont, it was a conference with the folks in Vermont and the folks in New Jersey who are engaged in this conversation around infants and toddlers, zero to three, if you will. Uh, the Terrell Fund actually um, sponsored that event. I'm going to ask you something. Vermont is engaged in this. New Jersey is engaged in it. Is the rest of the nation engaged in this conversation, or is it just a couple of states that have funding to do this from private foundations and the philanthropic organizations? Help us understand this. No, I think, I think we're the, at the beginning of a movement. Nationally? Sir, nationally. By the way, check out our interview with U.S. Senator Cory Booker yesterday. We talked about this topic. He had a lot to say about it. Go ahead. I do think we're on the, the beginning of a trend toward looking at babies. Many states, like New Jersey, have invested in preschool, which is wonderful. That's the pre-K? Yes, but it starts at age three. And I think people are beginning to realize that a lot of learning goes on before age three. So if you look across the country, you have states taking a look at what's happening to babies. And for babies, the education is childcare. That's where they are outside the family. Um, some states, like New Jersey, Vermont, were part of the Think Babies National Initiative with five other states. We certainly, I think, are ahead of the curve. We have support to take on a campaign. But, you know, we're part of a couple of national networks, and other states are talking about this, too. Let me ask you, we're doing this right before the state budget is, in fact, supposed to be struck. Are there items in this state budget that impact infants and toddlers? Not enough. You know, that was one concern that we had. We were thrilled when Governor Murphy announced his budget, a real emphasis on working families and how do we ensure that families can work. But he left out child care. Hold on. Respectfully, Celia, you were on that transition committee the team, transition team with Governor Murphy, did, did they hear your voice? Yes. And actually, we were able to get a, a, a recommendation around child care into the transition report. Um, I was hopeful, especially when the governor had such a focus on working families. Um, you know, it's a tight budget, but we're very hopeful. We have legislative support to add money to the budget, at least to take a first step to improving access to child care for babies. By the way, real quick on this, uh, I know we're going to credits. Could you put up our, our website, excuse me, real quick, and I'll tell you why. Lieutenant Governor uh, Sheila Oliver was on State of Affairs talking about this. You can't do it. it it's steveadovato.org. Check it out. We got uh, the Senate President talking about this, the Lieutenant Governor talking about this, uh, State Senator Teresa Ruiz talking about this, as I said, Cory Booker talking about it. We'll continue this conversation, Cecilia. But you're hopeful, right? 15 seconds or less. You're hopeful? Yes, we're hopeful. And if nothing else, we brought 160 babies to Trenton to remind our state leaders that babies are important. And that is strolling thunder. <laughs> yes, and you were there with your family. That's all good. Yes, I was. Thank you, Seal. Steve Arbato, this is State of Affairs. Check you out next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, New Jersey Sharing Network, TD Bank. PSCNG, St. Joseph's Health, and by 
Adler Aphasia Center. Promotional support provided by The Record, North Jersey's trusted source, and NorthJersey.com. And by Meadowlands Regional Chamber, building essential connections that drive business growth. Autism is one of the fastest growing developmental disorders in the U.S. Here in New Jersey, one in every 41 children is diagnosed with autism. And when a child is diagnosed with autism, every member of the family is affected. While there currently is no cure for autism, early detection and intervention can offer critical improvements for the child and tremendous benefits for the family. To learn more about autism, contact the Binder Autism Center at St. Joseph's Children's Hospital.